Uh, just uh, a few moments ago, I got a really great, great question asked to me as I'm sitting down over here. Uh, the question was, um, I don't know what God looks like. Can you tell me? And uh, I think that we, we have that question even as adults. And what does God look like if we were going to draw him? What would the, uh, the pattern or the example be for us to look at to, uh, to draw a picture of, of God? I think that we've all tried to do that at some point in our lives, or maybe you're trying to come up with that picture this, at this moment. The cool thing is um, that the author of Hebrews wrote perfectly for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we do have a pattern that we can draw, literally draw, um, a picture of God. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the exact radiance of God, that he is the image of God. And so if we know what Jesus looks like, then we can draw God. So I, I mentioned that. If we know who Jesus looks like, if we know what he looks like, then, uh, then we can draw him. And the rebuttal was, I haven't been to heaven yet. I don't know what Jesus looks like. And so what do we do? If we have not been to heaven yet, and we have not walked beside, literally or physically walked beside Jesus, what do we do with our lives if we're trying to picture who Jesus is? Well, this is why he gives us his word. This is why he's preserved it for us so that we can look at and have enough knowledge on what Jesus looks like so that we can pattern our lives after him. We pattern our lives after him. We're conforming our image through the work of the Holy Spirit. We're conforming our image to the image of Christ. We are all supposed to sound like when we speak the Bible. Someone should accuse you of that. When you talk, you sound like the Bible. When you walk, you walk like Jesus. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are disciples of his, if we belong to him, if he has purchased us with his blood, and we have called him Lord and we belong to him, we are submitting ourselves in obedience to him, and so therefore we are to be conforming to or being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Most of you, I'm looking around, and because I know most of you in the room, you already know these things, and you came here this morning knowing that already, um, and, and it's easy to say those things, and it's real easy for me to say those from this platform looking down upon you and say those things to you and say, you people, you need to be conforming your lives to Jesus and pointing my finger. And that's real fun to do, actually. And I, I'd just like to spend more time doing that, but that's not what we came this morning. Not for me to point fingers at you, but instead for the Holy, Holy Spirit to convict us and the Holy Spirit to change us into the likeness of his son, Jesus. We belong to him, and as Peter is talking to these, to these early Christians, these earlier, early followers of the way, as they have been dispersed, scattered out, uh, they don't have the, the good patterns anymore. I mean, think about that. You've, you've been saved. Maybe you've been uh, led to the Lord by someone. Someone has uh, proclaimed or preached the good news to you. And uh, you're here in 60, uh, 63 AD. And then all of a sudden you're spread out. And the person who you learned about Jesus from is no longer with you. And so your pattern for following Jesus has, has vanished. And so what do you do? And Peter's urging the believers, stop trying to pattern yourself from people of the world, but instead pattern yourself or conform yourself to Jesus. Look to who Jesus is and pattern yourself after him. How do we do that even today? We have to look at his word and we have to see what is, what is his word. We have to say, God, what, what do you want from me? If I'm to walk as Jesus walked, if I'm to walk in holiness, as we're about to point out, 
How do I do that when we live in a very broken, unholy, unholy world? You, you all have good examples. We talk about this often. You've all been discipled by someone. Unfortunately, many of us weren't discipled uh, by someone into following Jesus. Instead, we were discipled into following the person who discipled us. Uh, their pattern was off a little bit, and so we uh, we fell into routines and habits from people instead of you know routines and habits that might have ultimately always pointed us pointed us to Jesus. So when we talk about here in just a moment, these verses, when, when Peter is urging these new believers, urging these people who are following the way, urging them to live a holy life, you need to understand that the same struggles that they were facing, we are facing today as well. Jesus has yet to return to make everything perfect He's yet to return. He is yet to return. We're still waiting for that. Waiting in a living hope in His resurrection. In His, uh, we're waiting for His return. And so, in that, we're still living in. We see signs of this every day. Signs of brokenness. Signs of sin ruling. It seems as if it's ruling and reigning. Uh, we see moral uh, corruptness. We see people who are who are making decisions, and you wonder why you why are you making that decision? You see it maybe if you have grandkids, or maybe if you have kids. Or wives, you often see this in your husband, I know. You see sin ruling, see sin reigning. And you, you ask them, why are you doing that? And just like in kids Sunday school earlier, it wasn't me who did this. It was the toy. The toy made me do this. Uh, and that's not the case. Peter's trying to, to help us understand sin should no longer reign in you. If Christ has purchased you with his blood to remove sin from you, and you have been born again, then Christ should be reigning and ruling. And so we have to be, as, as Christians, as followers of the way, we have to be quick to repent of that. It's not the toy. It's sin. It's the sin that I'm, I'm you know, actively involved in at the moment. So I want to repent of that, confess that, and be uh, you know, walking faithfully in, in Christ. Christ is the one we, we, we read in verses 1 through 12. Christ is the one who's bringing this holiness upon us. He's the one that's setting us apart. Holy means to be set apart. So when Peter says that you are to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy, you're to be holy as God is holy, how can we? Who is going to set you apart? Who is going to make you holy? I feel like there's probably two people in the room this morning. Those of us who do a really good job of setting our own selves apart. Like we are, we are, we are constantly trying to do the act of holiness. We are setting our own selves apart. Uh, yes, I understand Christ died for me and that he is the one who saves me eternally, but I'm fearful he's not the one to keep me holy. I'm fearful that if I live in this broken world, if I work in this broken place, if I'm a part of this unholy marriage, if I'm a part of this unholy government, if I'm a part of this unholy whatever it may be, I'm fearful that I will again become unholy. So I'm going to do my best, my very best, to be religious enough, to be holy enough, so I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to come up with actions, what I would call label holy actions. I'm going to put those holy actions into place, and I'm going to do the work of setting myself apart by myself, by my own power. And the other side is this, those of us who, uh, who are a little bit ignorant a little bit unaware, just want to be, remain blind to sin, remain blind to holiness and just say, you know what, Christ saved me and I'm just going to keep on walking. And I'm going to do my best, my very, very best, just to keep on walking, uh, living blind to, to the ways and the patterns of the world. And Peter's going to talk 
about those things. Holiness doesn't come by your actions. Holiness doesn't come by your blindness or your ignorance. Instead, holiness comes by Jesus and the work that He has done, the work that He is doing currently in your life, even if it's through suffering, as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. And He's going to continue, uh, Paul writes this in Jude, uh, He's going to continue to keep us holy. He's going to present us as blameless before the Father because He's the only one capable of doing that. Verses 14 through 16. 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's a, a, another a thought here. I know that you've had this. Maybe you were a part of a sports team or currently you're on a sports team. We've talked about this before. Well, your coach wants you to be perfect. And so you have practices all the time, hoping that these practices will, will, will create perfection in your playing. And so, uh, so church people do the same thing. If I continue to go to church and Sunday school and I continue to do the right things and I continue to, to check the boxes on the, on the list of things to do, at some point my conduct is, my conduct is going to be holy and so I'm going to put into practice these, these perfect things so that I might become Perfect someday. And then there's the other side of that. There's those of us who are lazy, who would say, you know what, I'm never going to be perfect. And so, coach, you can tell me all the time to, to keep on practicing and that I'm going to eventually be perfect, but I'm well aware that I'll never be perfect, so I'm just not going to practice at all. My cousin was this way. Her name is Lori Beth. I hope she listens to this. I'm calling her out right now. Coach said he wants to be practiced. Coach, I told you, no one's ever perfect. So if per- practice makes perfect, but no one's ever perfect, why practice at all? And so, uh, so we, as followers of Jesus, we have to come to this realization, this wise moment, this knowledge of what God is doing in our lives and say, who is it that we want to be obedient to? Do you want to be obedient to your passions, your flesh, your desires? Are you a child of yourself or are you a child of God? And if you are a child of God, do you want to be obedient to Him and Him alone? As obedient children, we are to pattern our new life. If you remember back to the, to the beginning of the chapter, Christ has caused this rebirth in us. He's given us new life. We've been adopted into His family, becoming now heirs into uh, Christ's kingdom. God is our Father. Creator God is our Father. And as, as obedient children, we begin to pattern our new life, not just after anyone or anything, but instead we pattern our life after Jesus. You see this with your kids. I see this often with my own kids. And I wonder why uh, the Lord put me as their dad when I see them acting like me. You know what I'm saying? Why did you do that? I do that. I don't want you to do that. I'm telling you with my words. Don't act like this. Don't act like this. We can't help it. We're kids, and our parents are constantly involved in our life. And they're training us in ways, and we begin to we begin to act like them. I see Reese telling jokes like I tell jokes. I see Rylan harassing his mama like I harass his mama. I see Emma wanting to put her brothers in a headlock like I want to put them in a headlock. I see Roxy being patient with her mother. Like, I want to be patient with her mother. <laughs> I just call my kids out. I remember one time reading about preaching. It said, never call your kids out, and I did it, so I'm a failure. We're not to pattern ourselves after someone on this earth. We have to come to the moment where we have to understand 
I should have said this already. I'm just assuming this, and I'm sorry. The world is broken. Sin did enter. Rebellion happened. Things are not perfect. So, so God had to send in a perfect person himself to come and be the standard of holiness. You have to come to a moment where you realize you cannot be holy on your own. You're broken. You're sinful. And we need a new pattern for holiness. What we hope in parenting with our kids is that they see our brokenness, they hear our confession of sin and our repentance, and they hear our longing for Jesus so that they, as our, as our, as our kids, as obedient children to us even, they would see our obedience to Jesus and say, yes, I see your faults, I see your failures, I hear your repentance, and I see your obedience to Jesus. And so, so do I want to be obedient to Jesus. So as obedient children, we are no longer, Peter tells us, to be conformed to the passions of our former former ignorance. Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed. When Peter is talking here, he's using the same uh, terminology or same language that Paul uses in Romans 12. He's saying, don't pattern your actions, don't conform your life to the patterns of this world or your former ignorance. To be a disciple means to be a follower. I know that you all want to be leaders, but you are all followers if you confess Christ as Lord. So to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a follower of Jesus. That you are sitting at someone's feet. You are learning all their ways. Like I said earlier, everyone has been discipled by someone. And you're still probably being discipled by someone. And the hope is, in this church, in any Christ-centered church, that we are making disciples of Jesus. Not of ourselves, not of human tradition, but of Jesus. The issues come into play when that training, or that teaching, or that pattern is not set upon a holy and pure thing. If you're disciple-making, even currently, if you're making disciples, if it's not Christ-centered, set upon Jesus, the holiest thing, the, un- the only holy thing, the only pure thing, then we are not centering on a right thing. Instead, we are centering, simply stated, we are centering on a wrong thing. We are not being helpful to anyone that we're discipling if we're not pointing them to Jesus. Instead, we're being hurtful and we're leading them to destruction. We put it, we're putting in this place habits and routines and disciple-making that have nothing to do with holiness and purity, but all have to do with, with, with what we think someone should look like. You see this in the baseball context. You see players get into the batter's box and they go through this whole routine. They fix their gloves. They, they fix their necklace. They fix their, you know, all their stuff. They get ready. They put their hands on the bat. The umpire saying, hurry. The timer's going for the pitcher to get his, all his routine ready. And we get up there and we get ready to bat. And as soon as they strike, uh, as soon as they swing and they miss the ball and they, and they strike, they, they repeat and they do it all over again with the hope that this routine that they've been taught, this training that they've been through will help them to hit, you know, bombs, dingers, help them to hit it in the gap, help them to get on base, help them to score runs, whatever the case may be. They go through all these things hopeful that their next swing will put them in the right place. They've been trained by someone. And then you see it in Little League. You see the same things happening. Hey, who taught you how to do that? Who taught you to do those things? Well, I saw it on TV. I was watching ESPN, and they did the same thing. I remember asking a buddy in high school, hey, why every time you go up to bat, do you do the sign of the cross? He's like, I have no idea. I just thought that that's what we're supposed to do. 
Okay, well, let's think through. Let's think through this. Who taught you this? Who told you to do that? Well, I saw so-and-so doing that. Well, are they uh, someone that we should value? Are they a worthy teacher? Are, are they hitting home runs? <laughs> if they're not hitting home runs, let's do something different. Maybe that, and that's not the case of the gospel, okay? What happens if you don't have a pure pattern? What happens if you're making disciples or you have been taught or trained and you weren't being trained with a pure pattern? When your pattern isn't pure, your product will be full of faults. When your pattern to life isn't pure or holy, then your product, what you're producing, will be full of faults. Again, I, I don't want to... I don't want you to lead yourself into a works-based salvation or a works-based life or a works-based holiness. But if you're continuing only to produce fruits of the flesh listed in Galatians 5, like jealousy and anger and bitterness and impatience and unholiness, I mean, all these things, I, I, would, I would begin to reflect upon that. Lord, convict me. Where have I gone wrong? Where, where, who is my pattern? Who is it that I'm, I'm patterning my life after? Why is it that all these you know, works of or, or fruits of the flesh keep being exposed? What's going on here? Well, maybe your pattern for life, maybe the things that you're conforming your life to are coming from impure things, an unholy thing. Maybe you're not patterning your life after Jesus, but instead you're patterning your life after self. Or you're patterning your life after someone you know who you highly respect. Uh, maybe a side note even. Sometimes we don't even realize this. I think, I think marriage shows this more often than not. Marriage shows us our faults. Marriage shows us uh, the patterns that we've been taught. I think parenting is the same way. We often see, why am I parenting this way? And I think it becomes from those impure, those impure patterns. They're now showing back up or surfacing back up as suffering comes, as grief comes, as trials come, as troubled time comes. When you, when you enter that moment where you are like, I just don't know, at that moment you go back, you go back to those patterns you've been taught, those habits that were formed years ago. And in your I don't know statement, you begin acting, Peter says, out of ignorance. Again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That I don't know statement. It's the same word agnostic that we get the word agnostic from. Those who claim that they don't know if there's a God or not, you're calling yourself ignorant. When you call yourself an agnostic in Greek, you're calling yourself ignorant. No one goes around saying, hey, guess what today, guys? I don't have a name badge. Hey, who are you? I'm ignorant. I'm, I'm walking in former ignorance. We battle against that. I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to know. I want to know, so we battle against that. And so as followers of Jesus, every day that we're walking... We're walking in hopes that we want to be obedient to Jesus, patterning, patterning our life to his pure life. So if, if what we're producing is full of faults, and our pattern is faulty, we must change. We must change the pattern. And this is where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. Lord, change me from the inside out. 
Let me look, let me set my eyes upon, like we talked about last week and the week before, and the week before, and the week, in fact, three years now. Let my eyes be set upon Jesus. Let Him be my vision. Let Him be my mission. Let Him be the pattern for life. Unfortunately, uh, for those of us in this room, like myself, who have always been in church, who have always been a part of a church tradition, who who would consider ourselves religious, we have learned to set ourselves apart by our religious acts. I'm going to pattern my life off of the religious things that I consider the most holy. And this is why, this is the very reason why Jesus preached so harshly against the Pharisees. The Pharisees were perfect. They were rock stars. They were perfect at religious acts. They had a religious pattern for the life based upon, all their life based upon, outward religious actions. I'm going to prove to you my set-apartness by my religious actions. See how well I don't do these things. See how well I'm not a part of this. See how I'm setting myself apart. And then Jesus came in. And he preached against that. They wanted to prove their holiness by all the things they could do religiously. See how well I attended church. See how well I attended Sunday school. See how well I attended Sunday night. See how well I attended this and that. And see how well I have all my, and I have these, how, how I have all my VBS certificates. They're in a box. And I hope someday at my funeral, my kids will bring them out and say, See? See how well he VBSed? <laughs> This is why Jesus preached against this. He preached against it in Matthew 23. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter by talking about the heart. He says inside must be cleaned first so that the outside, so the actions on the outside may be pure and holy. It wasn't, still isn't just about what's being seen outwardly, but to be holy means to be holy, completely holy, completely holy. No more just modifying our behaviors or actions, but also our heart must be changed. Our heart must be changed. Let me think for a moment here with Peter. Peter, who's following and walking beside Jesus and has the perfect example, the perfect pattern, still his his religious actions and his holiness is put to test in Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus warns Peter. He warns him that you will deny me. When, When put to the test, someone's going to ask you, Are you with Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? And Peter, you're going to deny that fact. You're going to ignore it. You're going to not profess me or confess me before men. And then what does Peter do? Like any human, he argues. There's no way, Jesus. There's no way that I will do that. There's no way that my actions will do that. See, Peter is basing his entire entire following of Jesus based upon his power, his actions, his thoughts of holiness. And then what happens at the, end of, at the end of Mark 14? Peter denies Jesus three times. Poor guy. He goes down in history as this guy. He goes down in history as the guy who Jesus said, you're going to, you argued against it, and he did it anyways. So what happened? How could Peter, who was walking with Jesus, deny him? How can we, even folks today, 
who are walking with Jesus, how can we deny him? Tim Keller says this, Peter's most fundamental indignity was not rooted as much in Jesus' gracious love for him as it was in his commitment and love to Jesus. If you are basing your holiness and purity this morning based upon your commitment to Jesus, you will fail. Tim Keller goes on to say, his self-regard was rooted in the level of commitment to Christ that he thought that he had achieved. I'm finally at that moment. I've achieved greatest commitment to Jesus. I'm the greatest religious example. He was confident before God and humanity because he thought he was a fully devoted follower of Christ. See, I walked with him. See, I talked with him. See, I'm being obedient to him. See, he took me up to the mountain. I saw him in a special way. See, I'm, I'm, I'm having great... In fact, we could argue, Peter would say, I think he loves me more than he loves John. John, you can argue with me all you want, but obviously I have a, a deeper commitment here. If you get your sense of worth from your own actions, soon you will fail. And as soon as you fail, you'll have no worth left. Same with your holiness. As soon as you do something unholy, if you are basing your life off of your commitment to your being remaining holy, as soon as you do something unholy, you'll have no holiness left. So our pattern must change. Even our religious patterns must change. If you base your identity on any kind of achievement, on any kind of goodness or virtue, you will have to live in denial of the depth of your faults and shortcomings. Tim Keller says, basically, if you continue to try and keep yourself holy and walk committed to staying holy, you won't have an identity secure enough to admit your sins, your weaknesses, and flaws, which will lead to so much pride you won't be able to repent of those sins. Instead, you will continue to walk in religious actions. One commentator, his last name is Clowney, which uh, I prayed this morning that I wouldn't just be about jokes, and I just made this little connection here. That was funny, okay? The pattern, Clowney says this, the pattern of holy living cannot be reduced to a limited number of holy actions. God's righteous deeds flow from his holy nature. So holiness pattern on his, on his holiness must express transformed hearts, not just modified behavior, not just new actions, but instead transformed hearts. God didn't wake up today saying, I want to be holy, and so this is the things I'm going to do today to be holy. No, holiness is flowing out of Him. It's who He is. It's why we're in desperate need of Him, because we long for the place that He is, the place of holiness, and the only way to get there is through Him, His Holy Son. And so we have to be daily preaching this to ourselves, that it's not about our actions, but instead it's completely about the actions of Jesus. So how can I? How can I change my heart? How can, I, how can I change something, literally, that I can't even see? If you can't see your heart, most of your life will just be based upon changing the things that you can see, which are your actions. I'm going to stop cussing. 
I'm going to stop yelling. I'm going to stop punching. I'm going to stop kicking. I'm going to stop letting whatever it is, the things that I can see, I'm going to change those things. And Jesus is saying, clean the inside. Clean the inside. Let the heart be transformed so that what's inside of you begins to flow out of you. It's not just about modifying or changing your behavior and actions, but instead, because of you understanding who you are in Christ, holy in Him, set apart by Him, now this, these holy things that God desires of us are now flowing out of us. Can you imagine this if you read in the paper, if you still read the paper, or Twitter? If you still read Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, if you read a headline that said, man performs first open heart surgery on himself. How awesome would that be to be that guy or that lady? You know what? My heart's bad, and so what am I going to do? I'm going to do open heart surgery on myself. I mean, obviously this is silly, and we would click on the link or we'd open the paper and we'd read the whole thing. Like, I want to know about this guy. How did he do open heart surgery on himself? It's not possible. It is absolutely not possible. So we're, Christ is asking us to clean the inside and he knows in his wisdom that you and I cannot do that. We cannot fix our heart. Only the work of Christ can do that. The sinner can't fix the sin. The impure can't suddenly make himself pure. The unholy can't miraculously, miraculously become holy just because he or she wants to. We must have someone come in and do the work for us. We must have someone who knows what they're doing come in and do the work for us. Obviously, I'm hoping this morning that you're seeing that's where Jesus comes in. What do we do? If we understand, if we're at that moment, we're understanding... Christ has called us to be holy. Peter is reminding us not to live in ignorant ways anymore, conforming our lives to the passions of this world. He's calling us to conform our life to holiness. My heart must be changed, so what do I what do? I do? As I mentioned earlier, Paul and Peter, they talk about the same things. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what Paul and Peter are both saying is that Christ is the only one that can make you holy, so what should you do? The same. When someone says, I think you have a bad heart, what do you do? You go to the physician. You go to the doctor. And the doctor says, we must operate on your heart. And what do you do? You say, okay, put me on the operating table. Open me up. My life is sacrifice. Change my heart. Fix what's going on inside me. Repair the damage. Fix Fix, uh, remove the sin from me that I might be obedient to you and to you alone. And you wake up reborn, living, truly living because Christ has changed your heart. Peter says change your heart. Jesus says change your heart. Paul says change your heart and your mind. Transforming your mind. Can you see your mind? No. Just like the heart, it must be changed from the inside out. How can your heart, your thoughts, your soul, the very essence of who you are be changed? It can only be changed by the work of the Holy Spirit through Christ working in us, conforming us, transforming us into His likeness. This is why suffering is so good. This is why we can say grief is good. This is why we can say trials are good. Because we see 
Christ changing our heart. Trying to make your heart, your own heart holy, would be an act of ignorance. We have to daily remind ourselves, there is only one who is holy, and I lay myself down to him. Peter goes on to say, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We don't want to talk a lot about ignorance today because it's not going to make you feel good, so we'll just leave it at that. Peter's writing to an audience that does not, that, that does know Jesus. And they're saying, Lord, open my eyes to who you truly are. Who is the exact radiance of who you are, God? Who is the exact radiance or the exact image of your holiness? And that is Jesus. Our pattern for holy life is Jesus. He's our provider also for a holy life. He gives us the pattern and he provides the way of life. What does it mean? Peter goes on to say we're going to study more in the next few weeks. What does it mean to have a holy marriage? How can a holy marriage even happen if one of the, if one of the persons in the marriage isn't even saved? How can this be a holy marriage? How can I, how can I have this? Well, we pattern our life after Jesus. What does it mean to be a holy citizen in an unholy government? Well, we pattern our life after Jesus. What does it mean to be a holy employee or servant living or working in an unholy corporation or organization? We pattern those lives or our lives after Jesus. What does it mean even to have a, a church that's holy, that's pure, that's living in obedience to Jesus? Well, we pattern our lives after Jesus. We pattern our lives after Jesus. Ultimately, it's not about what you did, but instead it's all about what Jesus has done. It's all about what Jesus has done. You cannot make yourself holy. As much as you'd like to, and as much as you're trying to, you cannot make me holy. Instead, we rely daily, and we rest in the holiness of our Savior, Jesus. The truest pattern of love, the truest pattern of holiness is substitutionary. Meaning this, Jesus in my place. Jesus made the ultimate substitution in giving himself up for you. And him being holy, and him being the pattern for holiness, came into this broken world to pay the ransom for your and my unholy life. And so he shows the truest pattern of love and holiness. So I would say this. You want to walk in holiness this week? Walk as Jesus. Substitute your life. Put love at the forefront. Put mercy at the forefront. Practice patience. Steadfast love. But ultimately, know that all your actions won't bring upon you holiness. Only the actions of Jesus will bring upon holiness in your life. Peter ends this little section by saying this. Verse 17, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Verse 18, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, completely pure. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Too often, too often, folks, we want to make this life about my or your story. 
We want to say, how do I know I'm saved? Because when I was 8 years old or 9 years old, I said these things. Or when I was 38 years old, I said these things and I made these actions. And we base our entire story and our entire salvation based upon the things that we have done. Ask me, how do I know I'm saved? Because of Jesus. Because of the good news of Him. Today as I walk, tomorrow as I walk, how can I have assurance of salvation? How can I have assurance of holiness? Because my eyes are fixed upon the one who brought salvation. My eyes are fixed upon the one who is holy. You want to be holy? Let Jesus take your place. Rest in him and him alone. Lord Jesus, help us this morning to respond to you in a way that brings you glory and honor. God, not in a a way to manipulate. God, not in a way to, to try and force change upon people. But instead, God, in a way that's glorifying to you and to you alone. God, let our eyes this morning, as we want to, even this moment in tradition, we're about to sing a song that we have been doing for years. God, we know it's coming next. We know sing, we know pray, we know go home. God, in that, let our eyes be fixed upon Jesus. God, as we try to continue to walk and we get exhausted and we continue to produce works of former ignorance or passions of the flesh, God, let our our eyes be fixed upon the truest pattern of holiness. Let our eyes be fixed upon Jesus. God, for those this morning who are wrestling, God, who have a cup or plate, who are perfectly in this world, morally clean on the outside, but are so desperately wicked on the inside. God, change hearts this morning. Not for our glory, but that we might boast in you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.